0: by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for
1: you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important
0: uh, to be in church we long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus
1: Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Oline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, in Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We uh, we still have, at least for a portion of this program in our recording today, uh, Vicar Bader, and uh, now new Vicar, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the eighth Sunday after Trinity. Each week, we come together, we look at God's Word, help people prepare for the upcoming Sunday worship service, the gifts that God freely gives, the Word that He teaches us, and today, the warnings that He gives us because He loves us. The uh, readings for today on this uh, 8th Sunday after Trinity are, at times, hard readings to hear. And uh, they are a challenge to the ears, even of strong and faithful Christians. Why would God speak this way to us? Why would God speak so sternly and harshly to us? Oh, I don't know. Why uh, Why would you tell your kids at the top of your lungs to get out of the middle of the street because there's oncoming traffic coming? Keep that picture in mind as we hear God's word today. The introit for the eighth Sunday after Trinity selected verses from Psalm 48, and uh, last week we had Psalm 47. So this week we have Psalm 48. So we get a little bit of a pattern here. And of all the readings that we're going to hear today, this is probably the the mildest, the kindest, and the gentlest with regard to all of our scripture readings. So, uh, Vicar Bader, you want to take it away? A portion of Psalm 48, the introit for the 8th Sunday after Trinity.
2: We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised... In the city of our God, his holy mountain. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. This is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us
0: forever. This is God, our God, forever and ever. Pastor, another way to say that might be There is only one God, and everything else that claims or purports to be God is lying and is a false God. Is that a fair way to look at that?
1: That is a fair way to look at it, and it even matches up with Scripture in other places. For example, Deuteronomy 6, Hero O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, uh, in addition to a plethora of other uh, examples. And so uh, it is a good confession. Our God is a jealous God. He is the one true God, and he won't share uh, that title, God, with anything else uh, that exists.
0: Vicar, it says, Your right hand is filled with righteousness. We've had a lot of talk over the last year with regard to the right hand of God. What is it and where is it?
2: the right hand of God is the power of God that goes out throughout all the world that rules and governs everything. Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That means he is the author or the authority of all the world. He is the righteous judge. And uh Maybe just something this is what I think of when I think of the right hand, you know, most people are right-handed. And so this can be either the hand that disciplines as a father disciplines his son, or this can be the hand of comfort, the hand that helps to lift you up when you are at your lowest, the hand that wipes away every tear from your eyes. This is our God and the one who rules us with justice and righteousness.
0: Pastor, we've talked lots and lots and lots over the course of the years and uh, in the year that you've been with us now as well with regard to that one little Hebrew word, Chesed, and how it is normally translated into English as steadfast love. And it just seems like every time we turn around, this word is jumping off the page at us. We have thought on your steadfast love Oh, God. What is this steadfast love that we are thinking about, praying about, meditating on, pondering? What is it? Well, uh... I'm going to respond with a a quote from Scripture. This is love, not that we have loved
1: God or served him, but rather that he loved us and gave his only begotten son as an all-atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, That's really what uh, the love of God is, uh, this love that uh, is so great that it's willing to give up its own life to rescue us from sin, death, and the power of the devil, Uh, a love that uh, is willing to be beaten and hung on the cross naked uh, so that we might be forgiven of sins. Uh, That's the love that God has, and that word hesed then uh, especially brings that home to us, uh, that it is a, a particular
0: special kind of love that only God can have for us. And this special kind of love is manifested in... Kind of an odd way, according to the ways of the world. You know, when we think of love, we think of emotions, we think of touchy-feely kind of stuff. We think of uh, almost Jesus as my girlfriend in the back seat of the car. Listen to some of the musics that uh, call themselves Christian, and uh, you can you can plug in your uh, your uh, boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, you know, favorite puppy, whatever, and uh, they make just as much sense. Here, the steadfast love, this chesed, is manifested. Did you see that? Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. How can the judgment of God be connected to the steadfast love of God? The world sees this as completely opposite.
2: Vicar, can you make some sense? Well, this is getting back also to what we were talking about earlier, that your right hand is filled with righteousness. Uh, We can rejoice at the righteous judgments of God, not because of anything we have done. Because of God and his righteous justice looked at us in our sin, he would judge us guilty. He would judge us deserving of eternal life in hell, or eternal death in hell, I should say. But we rejoice in the judgments of God because when he looks at us, he deals with us in his righteousness and does not condemn us, but instead says we are not guilty because when he looks at us, he no longer sees us in our sin, but he sees us clothed in Christ's own righteousness, purchased and won for us by the shedding of his blood upon the cross. And so that's why we rejoice in God's judgments. He has judged our sin worthy of death, and yet he has given us peace by saying, even though you deserve nothing but death and hell, I have given you eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
0: This is uh, this is part of that great exchange. This is part of the wonderful gift that God gives us. Uh, we deserve the judgment, but he pours out that judgment on Jesus instead of on us. That is his steadfast love in action for us, and it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, last week, Pastor, when we looked at the intro, a portion of Psalm 47, we had a lot of king talk, a lot of kingly nature of God and especially of Jesus and how this king shows compassion on us. This king talk really kind of expands here in Psalm 48 when it's talking about the dwelling place of the king. Uh, The city of great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain within her citadels. God has made himself known as a fortress Let Mount Zion be glad. What are all of these words, uh, kind of kingly words, kind of military terms? What are all of these things teaching us in the context of the steadfast love of God and the judgments of God? Well, um, first off, the place they're talking about immediately would be
1: uh, Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, where the ancient city of Jerusalem is uh, first built and where the kings of Israel lived. And then also upon the summit of which is, uh, in fact, the place where the temple was. Um, By extension, then, this also is talking about the dwelling place of God forever and ever because uh, he won't be contained only in a a building built by hands, but rather uh, he's the builder of all the world, and uh, we have our existence really in him. And so we have this idea then that also this is referring to heaven where God is. So we have this idea of... uh, God's dwelling place being a fortress. That's good news for us in the faith because that means we are kept safe and guarded uh, by his care and compassion in a place where he watches over us, provides for us, and takes the beating in our place. Uh, It can also be a word of judgment for those who are outside. We even see this in the book of Revelation when it uh, talks about those who are outside that practice sorcery are thieves and uh, drunkards and uh, they steal, all that stuff. Uh, And so if you're outside of the walls of God's kingdom, that's bad news for you. If you're inside, that's good news for you. And in fact, To build on what the vicar said earlier, too, the fact that God is judging those outside is actually good news for us on the inside as well because um, it's not paradise and heaven if there's sin therein. And so the fact that God removes the sin uh, is good news for those of us who are saved, even as at the same time it's bad news for those who are not.
0: When I look at all of our readings here together— I can't help but think how easy people in America and how easy most Christians, not only in America but many places throughout the world, how easy we look at the faith, kind of an easy believism. Um, We practice our Christianity in a half-hearted way. We take the gifts of God for granted. We take the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus for granted. We treat his word often with contempt. And we have no idea the spiritual battle and the spiritual war that took place to win our salvation, and we have no comprehension of the spiritual war and the spiritual battle that continues to be waged each and every day for your soul. It is a war. And when we have been deluded or lied to to think that this war doesn't exist, we set ourselves up as an easy prey for Satan. Keep that in mind as we go into our break. When we come back, we're going to hear Jesus teaching us, teaching us some hard truths. Matthew seven fifteen to 23. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. Man, we just can't get rid of you, can I'm we? I'm just here to stay. And... Uh, Vicar Golden, um, just think what we can do with the mocking of that name. But we got a whole year to, to build up to that. Uh, we're looking at the readings for the eighth Sunday after Trinity. It is uh, one of these uh, odd times here where we're we're recycling vicars. We we try to blend into our uh, vicarage program a, a week or two or three week overlap for our vicars. Sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. But it's a great blessing for the new vicar to be able to. Uh, you know, tag along, shadow, follow in the footsteps of the outgoing vicar to see what 12 months of an internship actually looks like at the end. And hopefully that uh, eliminates some of the nervousness, some of the fear, some of the trepidation. And one of the highlights uh, each week of Vicarage is to be able to sit down together with um, the pastors, and sometimes we have a guest pastor as well, but to sit down around God's Word. God's Word is what teaches us, guides us, grows us, forgives us. And if you really want to have a relationship with someone, whether it be your wife or your family or a team ministry situation in the church, you should gather around not only around coffee or the Huskers or the cattle and soybean reports, but what is it that creates true koinonia, the Word of God. And that's one of the great blessings and uh, almost kind of a side benefit of proclaiming the one with the growth and maturity of the vicar. Uh, vicar Bader, Gospel reading, Matthew seven fifteen to 23
2: Jesus said, Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many other mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness.
0: This is one of those times when after you read it and you say, this is the gospel of the Lord, uh, you almost feel guilty because, uh, while well, this is from the gospel of Matthew as a, a part of the end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has uh, recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The, uh, the words here are law, strict law, severe law. Uh, Gut wrenching law make you squirm in your pew kind of law the uh, beginning here in uh, verse fifteen when we're when we're talking about uh, a tree and its fruit, it's really talking about more than a tree and its fruit. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you. In sheep's clothing. This section, while it uses the analogy or the simile or the metaphor, whatever phrase you want to use, with regard to the good tree and the bad tree and the good fruit and the bad fruit or whatever, Jesus here is teaching us about false prophets. Is that a correct statement, Pastor, or is there something else going on here?
1: No, he's teaching us exactly about false prophets and telling us that we ought to be aware of them. And uh, they oftentimes come in sheep's clothing. Uh, the other day, my uh, family and I, we were at the Omaha Zoo, and as we were going in the gates, there was also another group going in the gates, and all of them had uh, white te- or white uh, dress shirts on with uh, dark pants and a tie and a name tag that said Jesus Christ on the name tag, and uh, you know that they look like they're really friendly, kind people, and uh, uh, and they probably are. Uh, just to be completely fair about it. Um, and yet, they, even though they look friendly and kind and they're nicely dressed, they are false prophets because they are from a false teaching church body that denies the Trinity, uh, denies the oneness of God, and in fact believes there's an um, infinite possibility number of God's. Um, and you have them knock on your door occasionally, too, I'm sure, here in Lincoln, uh, from that church body, from other church bodies, all sorts of false prophets that are friendly people, kind, they might be uh, good, positive members of society, and yet they're teaching false teaching, and because of that, we ought to beware uh, and watch out for them.
0: Vicar, we have a uh, we have kind of a livestock image or metaphor here that Jesus uses, and we're going to milk one more livestock uh, quotation or or answer out of you. Jesus says false prophets are like ravenous wolves who come in sheep's clothing. Now, uh, as a farmer, now I know you're not a big sheep farmer, but I think this applies to any kind of livestock that's out there, any kind of domesticated livestock. What is Jesus teaching us about the nature of false prophets when he is using this word picture of sheep, and wolves.
2: Well, they come and they, like Pastor Malin was saying, they look friendly. They look basically just like you. And even sometimes what they say might reflect what you say. Uh, that's how uh, false believers come into the church and start corrupting people. They They're speaking things that sound an awful lot like God's word. And there might be a little bit of truth to what they're saying, but really... Their motives are not good, such as those who want to come in and debate on whether or not God's word is actually God's word. Uh, Eventually, that's going to lead to uncertainty and unbelief and not edifying for the church at large. Uh, Coming in in sheep's clothing reminds me of how we used to hunt snow geese. You know, They were used to having uh, cattle all around them, so we would get a 50-gallon drum, cut a hole in it, put a fake cow head on it that we used for roping, and we'd be able to walk right up on the birds. And then when we were right beside them, they were all calm and thought everything was fine. We'd throw this 55-gallon drum off of us and let them have it with all the firepower we had. So that's how it can come almost unexpectedly at times. But yet, in the end, we will recognize them based on their fruits.
0: What is the goal, Pastor, of a ravenous wolf? Well, what does a ravenous wolf want? Uh, Well, to kill, uh,
1: to consume, uh, and to be completely honest, not all the time to consume. I know that's what we think and everything, but uh, where I bear hunt, uh, there are wolves as well. In fact, while I've been there, they've gotten into sheep pens and cattle pens and killed. They'd kill as many as they could, and they would eat what they could, but they could kill way more than they could actually eat. Uh, So that's what their goal is, to kill, destroy, to um, end life.
0: And so, Pastor, the Lutheran Church, and especially the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and especially, especially pastors and lay people in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that take doctrine and the Word of God very seriously, are oftentimes mocked by the world. Uh, Why do you care so much about correct teaching? Do you care more about doctrine than you do about souls and about people? Uh, why, why this s- endless obsession with purity of doctrine? One of our former, former synodical presidents once quoted. Um, Pastor, uh, is this an obsession with hardcore Lutherans? And if this is an obsession, is this a bad obsession or a good obsession? Well, I think
1: the obsession is to say the same thing Jesus said, because he himself is the author and perfecter uh, of our salvation and the one who brought this world into existence. And so we do have an obsession, I guess you could say, on saying the same things that Jesus has said. Why? Because he also tells us that's the way that we find our salvation is uh, when his word is preached and taught in its truth and purity. When two or more are gathered in his name, then he promises to be there, present, creating and sustaining faith. And so... As a church, uh, our goal is to say what Jesus says for the sake and benefit of the people who hear that word. Um, the, the truth is is that God promises to work in that word, so why would we want to say anything different than that? It's not so much an obsession on our end, but rather we're just trying to do what Jesus tells us to do to the very best of our abilities.
0: Yes, and what, what some people would call an obsession, I like to say, is being Faithful. Faithful to the Word of God, faithful to the command and promises of Christ. And for pastors, uh, faithful to the vows that you took before the very altar of God at your ordination, that you would order every aspect of your preaching, teaching, and your ministry according to the Word of God and Lutheran confessions. These confessions are like a border or a guard around the word of God that protects the word of God, that protects us and protects precious souls. And so we willingly and freely live and work and dwell inside of that fence, that border, or as you talked about in segment one, when we were talking about whether you're inside the wall of God or outside the wall of God, uh, safety or death, that's exactly what we're talking about here. The uh, the next part of the gospel reading here, Matthew seven fifteen to twenty three, the end verses of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He goes into this whole discourse with regard to are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or thigs from thistles. This uh, rhetorical question. Well, of course not. Grapes are never gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. What does that particular rhetorical question teach us, Vicar, with regard to false prophets?
2: It teaches us that we're not going to get good things from false prophets. Uh, You avoid a thorn bush with every part of your being or the same thing with thistles because you know if you get too close to them and actually touch them, They're going to hurt you, and it's going to cause infection and all that other bad stuff. Well, it's the same thing with false prophets. If you let them into your midst, if they get too close to you, they are going to infect you with their false teaching, and it's going to end up hurting you and ultimately hurting your soul and possibly even your eternal life with Christ.
0: Amen, amen, amen. We got a little bit more that we want to talk about with regard to Matthew 7:15 to 23 and we certainly want to get to our Old Testament reading at least in part. It's a long reading, but echoes the words of Jesus. Jeremiah 23:16 to 29. You want to see God warning his precious people against false teachers and false prophets go no farther than the book of Jeremiah a major, major theme and a major, major content is right there. This is Proclaiming the One. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial.
1: at Noon on KNNA.
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the eighth Sunday after Trinity. We'd love to have you come and join us for worship at Good Shepherd. We gather at eight and ten thirty each Sunday at thirty eight twenty five Wildbrier Lane. We have Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday evenings year round at six thirty. You can listen live on ninety five point seven LP right here in Lincoln, Nebraska, outside of our listening area. Download the app. Check us out on the website. TheCross957.org, archives, podcasts, you name it, we got it. And uh, our our goal here is to assist, guide, and serve you with the Word of God in its truth and purity. We'd love to have your feedback. Any questions, comments, or concerns, please let us know, because we strive to do our best at bringing God's Word, full force, undiluted, to the people of God in Lincoln and throughout the world, Matthew 7:15 to23 Jesus teaches us to beware of false prophets. Vicar Golden, do you want to share those words with us? You can get them fresh in our brain once again because we've got a little bit more that we want to talk about here. The entire reading: correct? Yes,
3: yes, correct. Jesus said, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves."
0: Now correct my memory, pastor, in uh, first and second Thessalonians, doesn't God the Holy Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the apostle Paul teach us that this Man of lawlessness, that phrase that's very similar to what we're talking about, is Satan himself. We're talking about the Antichrist that comes in and through the church. I believe uh, that's... 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, about verse 14 or so, if my memory serves me correct. Uh, I mean, are we talking about satanic stuff? Are we talking about antichrist kind of stuff here? Or is this just typical Lutherans overblowing the importance of pure doctrine?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say we're overblowing it. Um, Now... There is a man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, that uh, uh, is coming to the bring the world to an end, definitely. Um, that doesn't negate the idea that anything that is against Christ um, is also of that same spirit. And what I mean is this, any false teaching that is not according to God's word hurts faith and does destroy uh faith of people and lead people into hell that doesn't mean that all of them are the man of lawlessness or the antichrist they are antichrist but they are not necessarily the antichrist and so i'll make that distinction there a little bit um It is important for us to uphold the true doctrine and to listen to all of God's word and uphold it as true and good and wise, both law and gospel, and to teach it faithfully to our people and not to just let some things slide because they're difficult or uncomfortable to talk about. I think a lot of pastors struggle with this. Um, Just to confess on behalf of pastors, when a couple comes in that's living together, uh, there's not a single pastor who wants to talk about it or who looks forward to talking about that issue. Um, and some pastors just let it slide, yet we're called to be faithful and truthful. Um, or other issues, I mean, there, there's probably, a, we could talk, talk about them for an hour or so. We're called to be faithful, to preach what God's word says, to uphold that as true, whether we want to talk about it or not. Or um, And if we fail to do so, then we are of that spirit of antichrist as well. Um, and anybody who teaches, Contrary to the word of God or adds or subtracts to God's word. And this is again revelation Uh, Anyone who adds or subtracts to my words, uh, they'll be held liable on the last day. That's bad news
0: Jesus gives a uh, word picture here with regard to trees and fruit Uh, Healthy tree bears good fruit diseased tree bears bad fruit healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit And then he says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Them. I'm going to throw the softball to you, Vicar, and then I'm going to have Pastor Moline expand on it a little bit. Who is the them that Jesus is talking about? These
2: are all the false prophets, no matter what shape, size, or form they come in, that are preaching or teaching a message contrary to God's word and leading people astray. And uh, this can be on a whole plethora of things. Uh, Maybe they're uh, like the Pharisees who were teaching that you have to do everything according to their law and according to the eyes of the people, well, they might be pretty good people. But really they're whitewashed tombs because inwardly they're dead and decaying because they're relying not on God and His grace but on themselves and their own works. And I know it's easy to pick on the Pharisees and we do that all the time but these are all false prophets. Ones that are leading you not towards God and your salvation in Christ by leading you away from that, maybe pulling you towards themselves, maybe pulling you towards a law that they've come up with that they say you're supposed to follow and all these other things that distract us and take us away from the true word
0: of God. Okay, we've got Jesus saying the them are the false prophets. You will know the false prophets by their fruit. Jesus also says these false prophets are intentionally deceptive. They run around like sheep, with uh, like wolves with sheep clothing on them, seeking who they can devour. So, pastor, this fruit by which we will recognize them. What kind of fruit are we talking about? Uh, are we talking about a, a a prophet who does a miracle? Are we talking about a prophet who makes some kind of prophecy foretelling something in the future and then it comes true? What kind of fruit specifically is the good fruit from the good tree and the bad fruit from the diseased tree?
1: Well, the things you mentioned are what people oftentimes look for, right? That's why uh, TV T. That's, that's why I brought them up. TV preachers are so popular, you know, what do they tell you? They tell you these things you want to hear. Look look how successful I am. That means that the message I'm preaching must be true. Look how many people are in my pews. That means the message I'm teaching must be true. The actual fruit, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say, almost like the uh, psychic hotline that you see on, you know, uh, on TV. If I can tell you something that's going to come true, oh, I think Scott Frost is going to have a better record this year than he did last year. Oh, I'm a psychic because we win five games. See, uh, people can play that kind of nonsense in that kind of game all the time. And this is where that intentional deception comes in.
1: The... The real fruit that we ought to look for that uh, we should watch for in all preachers and teachers and even in, uh, I'd say, Christians uh, to uh, bring this one step further even, the true fruit we look for is a confession of faith. Do they say the same things that God says? Do they teach the same things that God says? Do they believe the same things that God tells them to believe? Um, That then also, uh, just to be completely clear about it, a confession is not just them saying the words. It's also then uh, to build on the things we've been talking about, living that life as well. I could say, oh yeah, I go to church. I'm a member at Good Shepherd Lutheran. I'm there every week. Uh, But then I can go... Um, you know, sell drugs, visit prostitutes, steal cars, uh, beat people up and all that stuff. Uh, That's a bad confession of faith then. Uh, All of it goes together. The things we say and the things we do are the confession of faith about what's actually growing in us. And a good tree, a good person will bear good fruit and a a bad tree or bad person will bear bad fruit in that way. And really, good and bad, all that means is faithful and not faithful.
0: Faithful and not faithful, doctrine and practice. And so once again, Pastor Muldeen, you have publicly before God and everybody right here on this radio program, you have said that Lutherans are Johnny One Notes. The Word of God Christ's word in its truth and purity, doctrine and practice rightly, this is the good fruit. And this good fruit will overflow into good works, of course, too. But if you don't have the right teaching, if you don't have the right doctrine, if you don't treat God's word with respect and honor, nothing else can flow from it. And uh, my friends, we do not apologize for that. This is the good fruit. This is how you can tell whether you are following, listening to, or tempted by a false prophet or a false teacher. God's word is truth and purity. Is this a faithful teaching of God's word or is this an unfaithful teaching of God's word? It doesn't get any clearer. It doesn't get any more simple than that. And sadly, it's kind of boring. You know, if we were looking at more like miracles and all these kind of things uh, that seem so exciting by the ways of the world. But think about it. The creator of the universe has written down his word, his love, his law, his gospel for you. He has given it to you. He's given you forgiveness, life and salvation. How can we not be excited How can we not be thrilled and fired up by that? And so the problem is not with how God works and what God does. The problem is with my heart and my reaction to that. Pastor, I want to ask you one more quick question. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will will of my father in heaven. That kinda of sounds a little bit like works righteousness to me. What does it mean mean to do the will of my father who is in heaven? I want to go to heaven. I want to do his will. How can I discover it? Do I need a purpose driven life? What what's Jesus teaching here?
1: Well it is a participant participular form here, uh, just to be completely clear. clear. It's not the one who does, it's the one who is doing. Uh, And that's the way then that we ought to understand that. And how does that happen? What is the will of God? It's that we uh, believe in him and act according to his word. And so the one who is doing his will is the one who is um, receiving the gifts in church on a regular basis and then taking the gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation that he receives or she receives, to be completely open, uh, and taking those out into the day to day life, the nitty gritty uh, work and uh, family and all those places, and living accordingly. Uh, and so it's not like you have to do some magic special work or give so much money or, you know, uh, a There's a guy in Spain who's building a a chapel out of garbage uh, for homeless people, Uh, and it's such a good work. Everybody says he even got a documentary about him. It's not that. It's the simple stuff where you do it in faith, and God looks at you and says, because Jesus' blood covers you as you uh, cook a meal or fold laundry or uh, all this, because God's blood covers you in the person of Jesus, that is a good work.
0: The, uh, the simple words in Luther's small catechism with regard to the will of God. What is the good and gracious will of God? That his word be taught in its truth and purity. And we These as the people, people of, of God, God. Lead, hear that word, believe that word, and lead godly lives according to it. It is so simple. It is so profound. And this is exactly what false teachers and false prophets will try to steer you away from. The simple truth of God's love, his chesed, his steadfast love for you in Christ Jesus. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at the Old Testament reading from Jeremiah 23. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, Vicar Golden. We are privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Today we're looking at the readings for the eighth Sunday after Trinity. The Old Testament reading here in part four is a long reading. It's a very, very serious and substantial reading connecting us to those gospel words in Matthew 7, warning us against false uh, teaching and false teachers. Uh, without further ado, Vicar Bader, Take it away one last time.
2: Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets... Yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way, and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I, so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesied lies of my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long should there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesied lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat? Declares the Lord, is not my word like fire? Declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces.
0: You can't help but hear the last verse of that section from Jeremiah 23:16 to 29 and think about the uh, great. Christian classic book, uh, The Hammer of God by Bo Geertz, and I would just in, uh, encourage our people to, uh, to check that out if you're not familiar with that book. And, uh, you know, before you were, you were joking around about Marcus Aurelius reading a particular thing every day of his life, uh, I think it would be great for a Christian, especially a Christian pastor, to read The Hammer of God every year. I think that would be a, a great little reminder to, uh, to talk about the importance here of God's Word. We did it
1: with our elders up in North Dakota, Uh, read it through and kind of talked through what was going on. It's It's a good book.
0: Yeah, and, and since it makes fun of the vicar all the way through the book, <laughs> or at least one of the major vignettes, that's always a good thing. Of course, you have a different understanding of the vicar. Was say, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be more equivalent to like the associate pastor. That's but, right. But um, that's okay. We're not going to go there. We've got so much here. And again, one of these years when we're working through here, when we get to tr- Trinity 8, I think it would be fun for us to devote an entire four segments to this particular reading from Jeremiah 23. And i got a couple of vicars here. I think uh, this text from Jeremiah 23, as hard-hitting as it is, uh, consider this if and when you get ordained. Consider this as an Old Testament reading. Uh, And if you ever, ever, ever get the, uh, the awesome privilege to be able to preach for an ordination or an installation, this would be a good text to preach on. It really would. So uh, going back to the beginning, we have uh, these words of Jeremiah. They, sounded, they sound very, very familiar to the words of Jesus. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes, visions of their own minds. There's a contrast here when Jeremiah talks. He is contrasting vain hopes and the vision of the prophet's own minds with something else. What have they replaced with vain hopes and the vision of their own minds? Vicar?
2: They've replaced vain hopes and the vision of their own minds with the sound word of God. Or that's what uh, they've replaced the sound word of God with their vain hopes and all that. That yeah, and, It works uh, either way. However yeah, you want to say it. I uh, couldn't help but think in my head, you know, the kids program, Bob the Builder, Bob the Builder, he can build it? Yes, we can. And these vain hopes are, you can do it, but really you can't. You can't earn your own salvation. You can't work your way up to God. You're a sinner. And so God has to come down to you, and he does that through his word. So that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ.
1: And it would be worth pointing out the thing Vicar just said matches with what comes before this in Jeremiah chapter 23, where... God says through Jeremiah that he will raise up a righteous branch that shall reign as king and deal wisely. And right even before he says that, he also says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their fold. And uh, their herds, they shall have shepherds over them that are faithful, and etc." So um, this all has to go together when we're reading the book of Jeremiah. We see the promise of Jesus, and he's the one being contrasted then with the false preachers who have been teaching not about jesus but about other things
0: so the true word of god that a true prophet preacher is to be proclaiming is the word that is fulfilled in jesus the fulfillment of all the old testament prophecies including in this context that righteous branch that jeremiah talks about and so here um Jeremiah has some pretty, pretty harsh words for those who do not point people to that righteous branch, Jesus. He says that they despise the word of God. reminds us of Luther's explanation to the third article, those who stay away from church, despising the word of God, and to those who stubbornly follow their own heart. Kuhlman would say people who think they have better words, and the Word of God. And look at what these false prophets do. And, Pastor, I want you to connect us to a contemporary application of how this is going on right here today. False prophets say, no disaster shall come upon you. Um, and then, uh, just a second here a little bit, um, nobody has paid attention to the Word of God and listened. How today are false prophets saying? The word of God isn't that important. The word of God can be ignored. Go ahead and do your own thing. Go ahead. God doesn't take his word or his law seriously. There is no condemnation. There is no judgment. After all, it even says in the Bible, judge not lest ye be judged. How is this happening today? And why is this such a major problem and a major temptation in the Christian church? Well...
1: um, This could be a long little explanation here, but it happens all over the place. Uh, In the news last week, there was an ELCA uh, church where the pastor said there's no such thing as hell, and if there is, that it's empty, which uh, basically that's calling Jesus and the apostles liars for the word that they recorded for us. Twenty
0: years ago, the pastor at Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church, ELCA in Hickman, said the same thing. Many of the people revolted and wanted to throw him out, The pastor won the uh, uh, fight, and uh, the faithful people were kicked out of the church. So, I mean, there's an example
1: just here in Lincoln um, that that still happens all the time in different churches today where... God's Word is ignored and the truth of what Jesus preached is uh, uh, ignored and something new is taught. This happens with uh, regards to marriage uh, and who can be married. Uh, Divorce. Is divorce a good thing or not? It happens in regards to um, the list could go on and on in that way. It happens in churches where they're more worried about branding than they are about uh, proclaiming the truth of what God's Word says. It happens where uh, we uh, are seeking to create a certain Type of feel in the worship service rather than to proclaim what God's word says and to stick only with that. It happens where churches rename themselves, right? Uh, this happens all the time as well. You drive around Lincoln, you can see lots of these churches where it used to be, from, I remember from my childhood, this was such and such church, and now it's, uh, you know, uh, Three Pillars or uh, Elevate or, uh, you know, whoever. It happens with, uh, you're going to say something? Nope. <laughs> right. I, was, I was gonna
0: make a smart aleck comment about yep. a name but i well I'll, that's uh, discretion is a better when part you're doing
1: all it. these things all of a sudden your focus isn't what's really important which is god's word uh, about jesus and the message that he teaches and uh God doesn't cut around the beat around the bush and talking about those things. He's very clear and he calls the uh the prophets uh lying prophets. Uh, his heart is broken at the way that they drift away from sticking with God's word says. Um and he's sad about it and yet it happens all over the place again and again and again and again. And and this whole Sunday, the point of this Sunday is a warning to all of you out there listening. Um if your pastor does not stick with what God's Word says and its truth and purity, beware. Watch out for him. Uh, find somewhere else to go to church. I mean, um, if you're that's not your first thing, of course. If your pastor says something wrong, go and talk to him directly about it. Hopefully they'll repent and say, you're right. I didn't say it rightly, and they'll publicly uh, change what they said. If they don't, then you need to get in a different church, one that does stick with God's Word and preaches the truth um, all the time so that your soul on the day of judgment won't be in a hell uh, because there is a hell and it's not empty and it's full of all sorts of people who were told that there is no hell or that hell is empty Um, don't be those people believe what god's word says look to christ for your salvation and to him alone
0: and this is not some great mystery like what does god say how do i know what god's will is for my life what does what 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 is the law? What is that? I mean, God is not a God who is far off. He's not playing where's Waldo or hide and seek with you. He has revealed himself to you in the person and work of his son. He has revealed himself to you in the absolute clear words of the Holy Scriptures. That's a fancy name for the Bible. Dust it off. Repent. Read it. Believe it. Demand that your pastors and your Bible study teachers preach and teach from the Word of God, rightly divided law and gospel, dripping with the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. Pass this on to your kids. Make sure that your kids hear it in church and Sunday school and vacation Bible school. And if your kids go to parochial school, make sure the parochial school is not one in name only, but actually teaches the Word of God as well. And I'm on a roll here pastor.
1: I mean, everything you said is exact truth. And it starts with, uh, to be able to do this, you need to know what God's word says. You need to know what the confessions say. And when you do that, then you'll start to see the places where other churches and uh, places fall short in that regard. And that's not to put us up on a pedestal. We're sinful people, too. We make mistakes. When your pastors here at Good Shepherd make a mistake, come and talk to us about it, and we'll do our best to fix it. Um, none of us are above correction not because none of us are above God's Word.
0: Amen, amen, amen. Uh, once again, and uh, this for real is the last time, uh, Vicar Bader, would you bring us to a close with the colic of the day for the eighth Sunday after Trinity?
2: Let us pray. Grant to us, Lord, the Spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we, who cannot do anything that is good without you, may be enabled by you to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
0: For Pastor Moline, for Vicar Bader and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to... At home, no, I guess it is proclaiming the one. Everything is just kind of jumbled and jumbled up for me today. Uh, Sunday morning when you get up, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor. But most importantly, go to church and hunger for the word of God. God's richest blessings in Christ.